I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. It's Eric from Perth. I have a question. What is so important about this election? I'm Sarah Wilson, and you're listening to This Wild Election, a mini-series that will help everyone who gives a shit about the stuff that defines our nation to make their vote count. Welcome to the first real episode of This Wild Election, a short series for all of us who give a shit about the big, important matters that define a nation and its people and who want to vote in leaders who give a shit too, you know, about real climate policy, wiping out corruption and dodginess and sorting out the inequalities faced by women, First Nations people and the have-nots. Because frankly, it's all started to get pretty embarrassing. And I think most of us have had enough of the bad behaviour. It's like, can't we do better? To kick off, I want to just establish where the landscape's at, the state of play as we head into week three of the election campaign. To my mind, there is a palpable sense of meh out there, a disillusionment and underwhelm with the two main options that we're presented with. At the same time, We're aware that this is an important election, so we can't tune out. You know, we have to care. But I think we are. A recent news poll found that 30% of Australians are saying they won't be voting for the two major parties. And that suggests that they're really starting to get engaged with some alternatives. And in the one week in which new unenrolled voters could enrol, we actually had the biggest enrolment day in history. And this was reported by one of today's guests. Speaking of which, to get a lay of the land and to get us all on the same page together, which I think always provides some comfort in overwhelming or perhaps I should say underwhelming times, I've asked two fired up observers of the political landscape to join me. So first of all, we've got Zara Seidler, co-founder of The Daily Oz, an Instagram-based news site. Hey, Zara. Hey, Sarah. How are you doing? And the very pregnant, gloriously outraged Jan Fran, a Walkley Award-winning journalist and comedian. And you might have caught her France, which are political rants on the Guardian website. These are videos that have seen 25 million views, or you might have seen her on The Project and various current affair programs where she's known for wearing very bold printed secondhand dresses. Hey, Jan Fran. G'day, mate. How's it going? Oh, all things considered, you know, heading into week three of the election campaign, you know, all right. But look, I really want to get straight into this. My take on where we're at as we kind of headed off into the election campaign, we're just heading into week three, is we've got this situation where ScoMo has kind of come out and said, hey, made mistakes, but at least you know what you get. 
And by mistakes, he means being missing in action in the floods, the bushfires, etc. Dealing with the sexual violence issue by telling women that we're lucky not to be dodging bullets. But also there's the lying, the cheating, the corrupting, the stacking of climate bodies with fossil fuel executives and so on. So that's what he means by he's made a few mistakes and at least we know what we, we're getting. But then we've got an opposition leader who's playing the kind of uber mild card, like he's too gun shy to come out and stick a stake in the ground. While the country, I feel, is just after something vibrant, some progressive policy and direction at this juncture in history and someone who can restore our reputation on the world stage. Jan Fran, that's my assessment. What do you reckon has been going on? Where is everything at? Oh, man. Sarah, since the last election, there's been a lot going on. The bushfires, the floods, just to name some massive climate-related emergencies that have happened, but also I don't know if you noticed, but we had a pandemic. We had a COVID-19 something, something still raging. There's been a lot of kind of flux socially and economically. In terms of where we're at now, you know, a few weeks out from the election, I think you're probably right in suggesting that we've got an opposition leader that is not necessarily advocating for revolution. I think Anthony Albanese is playing it relatively safe here. I think he's saying, look, We're going to make like some changes, but we're not going to change everything. Everyone's already been through a lot. There's been a bunch of changes that have happened in the last few years. I'm not going to come in and burn everything to the ground here, right? But you don't want this guy who's made mistakes. In some ways, Scott Morrison is in a position where he can't deny that there have been some mistakes made, particularly in terms of the optics of how he's handled the massive crises that have happened over the last three years. So he's saying... Yeah, we've made mistakes, but we're stable. You can trust us. You know what you're getting with us. How are voters feeling in all of this? Because that doesn't seem like much of a choice. This is one of those weird questions. When people go, how are voters feeling? I go, which voters? You know, Australia is not a monolith. We don't operate under a, a single umbrella where we think and feel and vote in the same way. So it depends on really which voters you're talking about. I think there's certainly more appetite for climate action now compared to the last election, even though it was there in the last election, it's far more pronounced now. And I think it's because we've had to deal with bushfires, we've had to deal with floods, we've been sort of hung out to dry on the world stage in the last few years. We saw that in the last climate meeting in Glasgow, which was quite embarrassing for us and nobody minced any words when talking about Australia. So I think there's more of an appetite for climate action there. We've got the independents who are going really hard on that platform. But in terms of how are voters feeling, that's a far more specific question that comes down to which electorates you're talking about and which voters in which electorates you're talking about. Zara, I think it's interesting. I mean, your social media platform where you emit lots and lots of political stuff, but you also get a lot of feedback, obviously, from people. And I know you scan it pretty closely. The government saw that Labor and Liberal are talking in terms of jobs growth and foreign policy. And I think there's a very broad consensus that both parties are quite similar, but where they differ is on some other issues. So as Jan Fran says, you know, climate, integrity. And of course, I think there's a breakdown depending on where in Australia you're talking about. But, you know, if we go by the first debate, the leaders debate, a lot of the issues that came up there, and this is from, you know, Queensland, it's going to be different to the rest of the East Coast and and the other major cities. They were talking about the NDIS. They were talking about integrity. They were talking about housing and aged care and of course, climate. Zara, you've got a very broad cross-section of engaged people. 
what are you picking up on? What are some surprising elements that Australians are caring about right now? I think that I can speak most specifically on how young people are feeling because our audience is 80% under the age of 35. And on that, there's been two clear tropes that I've found quite interesting, and it's two Fs. The first is just a very clear frustration among young voters. There's a frustration after the debate that climate, unsurprisingly the biggest issue among young voters, had one question attributed to it and it was framed in an economic lens and there was kind of no acknowledgement of this impending collapse of our environment. So I think that there's a frustration about this incongruence between issues that matter to young people and priorities for both of the major parties. On the flip side of that, the other F that I found interesting, and this was a poll that we put to our audience, was that 53% of our audience said that they were feeling fatigued. I found that really fascinating because, I mean, I go on every day saying how engaged young people are, and they are, but they're also fatigued. And it's not difficult to see why that is. I mean, if we just look back at the last week, we haven't talked about any substantial policy on either side of the political spectrum. We've been speaking about frankly, offensive comments made by a candidate in a seat in Sydney. And that has occupied most of the political debate this week. And so I understand why they're feeling fatigued, but fatigued coupled with frustration is a dangerous mix for both of the major parties when it comes to young voters. Absolutely. I mean, Jane Fran, you speak across a number of different platforms. What do you think is is really behind this fatigue in terms of, you know, really pinning down to what's happening in politics and what's been happening in the debates and the election campaign so far? Well, it was interesting hearing Zara talk about, you know, the last week in politics and how that's fatiguing young voters. I would expand that out to the last possibly decade and a half in politics and how that would fatigue young voters. If you're someone who's under 35 in this country, you will have only seen one prime minister in your voting life serve a full term. And that's Scott Morrison from 2019 to now 2022. You know, we've had six prime ministers in just a little bit over a decade. This is if you count Rudd twice, right? And that was principally over climate policies or energy policies or renewable policies. So if you're a young person in this country, from the time you're able to vote to now, have cared about climate change or have been acutely aware of it, and you've seen the way that it has played out in Canberra, would you have any faith in the democratic process? Would you not be fatigued? That to me is sort of one obvious reasons why there might be some frustration and some fatigue, as you say, Zara. But the other thing is they had a record day of voting enrolment. I think it was something like 214,000 people enrolled to vote in one day. And they said that that was the largest that they've ever had in history. So I think people... They're engaged with issues and they're engaged with ideas. I think for them, those traditional democratic processes, like voting, like the parliament, like the way that we pass laws, are fatiguing and frustrating. Yeah, Zara, I actually read that statistic as a tile on your Instagram just after that first week of enrolling to vote opportunity closed. So thank you for sharing that and bringing that to my attention. If we're going to talk about the issues that young people, more broadly, Australians are caring about, beyond their frustration and their fatigue, because behind it is care. What are they? What are you coming across um, on your feed that really is sparking and firing people up? Yeah, I guess, I mean, there's stats that we've gathered through polling and then there's more anecdotally what we hear about. And you said, I get a lot of DMs, I get a lot of comments, I see people's frustrations. It's very clear. Obviously, climate is far and above the biggest issue. When we asked, it was 85% of respondents' top election issue. And the next one down was something like 15 or 10 points behind. So it's a significant jump. But climate was by far the highest 
polled and then cost of living, which I found really interesting because when we think of what the major parties are going off, it it certainly is cost of living and economics, but perhaps just not framed in the way that relates or engages young voters. But cost of living was significant. So was health and particularly mental health. We spoke to some pollies a couple of months back about what they're doing to help cut down wait times and to extend Medicare benefits and all of that. Again, there wasn't much between the two major parties on that front, but it's definitely something that matters to young people, especially as we emerge out of the pandemic. I mean, anecdotally, the treatment of women, both in workplaces across the country and specifically in Parliament House, has come up time and time again as something that our people care deeply about and perhaps isn't being acted on appropriately. What about integrity and First Nations voice to parliament. They're two cans that have been kicked down the road for, mm-hmm. you know, in the case of a, a voice to parliament, that's been, I think, almost 15 years. I mean, they almost seem unsexy in some ways, but I get the impression people really care about this. I do too. And I think that the reason that it doesn't come up when we're doing qualitative polling is that those two issues specifically have been, I'd almost say, weaponized by our political class to be deemed complex and that they're these really big issues that can't, they're abstract, they're, you know, they're the big person's debate when they're not and they're very clear cut and it's very clear what the path forward is for both of those two issues. I think we're going to talk later in the episode about what the sort of issues that people listening should care about and those were the two that I identified was voice to parliament and an integrity commission and I think the work that we're doing here is to break down that facade that it is abstract, that it is difficult to understand. That's what they want you to think so that you can't engage and it's not, it's really clear and it needs to be acted on. I really agree with that and this idea of weaponizing nuance, you know, um, is, is a real thing. Jan, you do France. I love when you issue a new France, which is a, a Fran rant you can watch on The Guardian. Can you tell me what are some franty issues that you would really love listeners to this podcast just to be aware of? Well, one's aged care. On the whole, I think aged care, there's an incredibly important reform that needs to happen in that sector. That's one of the key differences between Labor and the Coalition. With Labor having a very big focus on aged care reform. That's right. They, they have a big focus on aged care reform. They want to lift wages in the aged care sector. They want to make sure that they provide more adequate staffing and much better staffing ratios for nurses and carers v patients. But I think one of the reasons that I, I don't really see that get brought up in and among the kind of the young people I speak to is because they think that it's not pertinent to them. And I just want to tell you that you are going to get old. We are all going to get, I'm getting old right now in this moment, right? And this stuff takes a very long time in the same way that it took years and perhaps even decades to kind of to break down. It takes years and perhaps decades to build into a strong, solid system, right? And that's going to be roughly about the time that if it's not your parents going into a nursing home, it's probably going to be you or somebody that you know and love, right? It really is a societal reform that is going to affect everyone, even in ways that we might not necessarily think about or quite fathom yet. So aged care is is one of those issues. The other one that I don't think, I mean, I have not heard it talked about at all, is robo-debt. I know that the ALP want a royal commission into 
RoboDebt and into what happened with RoboDebt. And for those who don't know, that was a mechanized program that basically uh, took money back from people who are on welfare. So among the most vulnerable people in this country, and it did it erroneously. It was riddled with issues. It led to so much mental anguish. It led to suicides. It led to death. Families were ripped apart because of this program that ran over a period of, I think it was four or five years, right? It's one of the biggest political scandals, I think, for me in recent memory. And it's just not being mentioned at all. It's like, oh, we did a whoopsie. Sorry, all these people lost their lives. Sorry, we tried to get money back from the most vulnerable people in the worst possible way. But let's just move on. I don't think that's good enough, personally. Yeah, I think it's almost emblematic of a bunch of things that have happened in and around that, oh, I've made a few mistakes, but hey, at least you know what I'm going to, you're getting with me kind of vibe. Robodebt is one of a plethora of really big things that in previous eras would be on the front page for six months, you know, being debated and discussed. But because so much has happened, you know, speaking to the frustration and, and fatigue and overwhelm that we've been talking to, it's part of that. It gets washed away, diluted. That's really interesting that you bring it up. Like it's almost like we need to go backwards and do a big accounting and go, well, what happened to that? And what happened to that? I mean, I've got a long list of them. No, that's a, that's a really good, like what happened to that? Uh, I think we just invented a brand new podcast. It's called <laughs> yes. What Happened to That? And we're going to go back and look at these issues that frankly have sort of fallen a little bit by the wayside, but are absolutely catastrophic in their impact on the most vulnerable people in Australia. And look, in my view, people should be charged for what happened under that program. You know what I mean? And, and we're not even at the point of really talking about a royal commission. Like there's people who've called for it, but no one's really pushing it or really keeping that idea in the agenda in terms of the two major parties anyway. Yeah. I also want to speak to the language that we have been bludgeoned with over the last couple of years. I get a lot of questions to this effect that, you know, there's so many low blows and, and personality stuff. And he says, she says stuff, lies, blaming, gaslighting, avoiding questions, you know. There's a question that comes from a listener here. Hey, Sarah, it's Eric from Perth. Why don't we ever hear people say the phrases, I've assessed the evidence you have provided. You're right. I was wrong. Or thank you for helping me arrive at this new position. Janfran, dignity. And decency seems to have been. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Lost, and I think speaking to the, you know, the frustration and fatigued, the two Fs, I think that's got a big part to play in all of this. 
Have you witnessed the same? Has it got particularly bad in the last couple of years and then obviously escalated as we've headed towards the election? Sarah, would you associate the words dignity and decency with social media? (laughs) Right. Okay. I see where you're heading. (laughs) When you think of the mediums through which we communicate about these issues, the principal mediums, and even if we're going to take, you know, the mainstream media, I'm doing um, air quotations here, so television, newspapers and all the rest of that, dignity, decency, not generally something that you would associate, particularly, I would say, with the 24-hour news cycle that exists on social media. There is a performative element to it. I don't think that we can divorce the types of conversations that we have on a platform like, say, Twitter, for example. I'm using Twitter as an example. I know the majority of people aren't actually on Twitter, but the ones who are are journos and they're sort of, quote, unquote, cultural gatekeepers. And a lot of that conversation actually does end up trickling down. So that's why it's significant. So because there's these sort of performative elements to this platform and there is a timeliness to the platform whereby it's action reaction there's no space to actually kind of ponder be considered be thoughtful and you have instances where you get people piling on and that's part of them perhaps performing to the audience and part of it is constructive criticism call it what you will it makes it very hard to apologize in an environment like that it makes it very hard to have vulnerability in an environment like that it does not invite you to be vulnerable, to be dignified, and frankly, to be decent. What it invites you to be, I'll use another D word, is defensive. And I'll throw in another one for good measure, (laughs) is a dickhead. (laughs) But what can be done? Because the three of us are on social media. Like that is a forum we use a lot. I mean, Zara's case, it's her her main forum for, for communicating and doing her work. I think we all manage to be decent. What do we need to break this cycle? Because our politicians are totally joining the bandwagon and maxing it. They know that they can say what they like, including lies, and it will become a headline if, you know, anyone digs into it and questions it and finds that it's actually not correct. Too bad. The headline's been and gone. You know, the 24-hour news cycle has just sucked it all back up. Are you seeing any leaders in this election campaign who could be doing it differently? And I'll put it to both of you. Are you seeing any good behaviour in all of this? I wholeheartedly agree with Jan's point while also acknowledging that it is my income. So it is a double-edged sword. But I also think it's the political system that allows for the type of people that we see in our political class to rise to the top. I do think that there is good political leadership to be found when you dig really, really deep. Seeing the rise of independence gives hope to a lot of people that politics can be done differently and that what we see in the status quo can actually be overturned. But also looking at party members, looking at people like Bridget Archer, who, I mean, we've seen quite moving and powerful photojournalism that has exposed how she is engaging with her party on important topics. And just as a reminder, Bridget Archer is a LNP member from Tasmania who has crossed the floor based on sort of values on a number of instances. So it was the discrimination bill, but also she's spoken up on the Liberal Party's position on ICAC. And she has said that these issues matter to her electorate. So yeah, just to, to give some background there. Yeah. And so I, I do think it can be found. Obviously, it's it's a bit more difficult and you have to go digging, but there is political leadership. And I'm curious, I mean, to put it back to you both who have more experience in this area, whether you think it, it has gotten worse and that in the last, say, 
five years if it's gotten worse. I've been a voter for less than a decade, so I don't think I'm in the best position to comment on it. But I'd be curious to know if you think it's worsened or whether it's always been shit, but we just now can see it more than ever. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I've been around for many, many elections. I would say it's got significantly bad. I'm scratching my head on it and I think we can put some of it down to social media. But I also know some very seasoned commentators. I think Ray Martin came out and said, this is the most diabolical government performance I've seen in all the history of interviewing all of the political leaders, you know, in his career. Many seasoned commentators are saying this. And I say this a lot, I think, across a number of different interviews for this series. You're not making it up. You know, this is, you're not imagining it. I think things have got bad. Jam, what do you reckon? I mean, I think the discourse in a lot of ways has deteriorated, yes. I almost hate calling it social media because it's actually a lot bigger than that. It's a way of being, which is one of the critiques that people make about social media. It's that it's changing what it means to be human. It's changing what it means to interact with people. This is the key issue. We have an adversarial political system. It has always been adversarial. It's government and opposition. Your job is to oppose the government. The government is to tell a job is to tell you to fuck off because they still want to keep leading, right? Mm. You're always going to get argy bargy within that framework, right? Because it's a framework that it that encourages that. And so back to your question about, you know, have you ever heard anyone say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong? Within a system that operates that way, there's just no space for that to go. It will not land, even if it is the right thing to do. And even if decent people will look at you and say, you know what, just be a bigger person and admit your mistake. You're operating within this particular framework that just will not allow you to do it because the backlash will be swift. I mean, we saw Albanese, he couldn't recall the unemployment rate or the cash rate in a particular moment. Frankly, I don't give a fuck. Why don't you actually? Because it was a big point and I think it's also been reoccurring where although the gotcha moments have stopped, but I think Scott Morrison is still trying to catch the leader out on a bunch of things. Why don't you care about those figures? Well, so the second part of that, of what you just said is probably the more important part. It's not so much that I don't care about the figures. It's that I'm not particularly invested in Albo or Scott Morrison's ability to recall facts in a particular moment. And the reason that I'm not particularly invested in that is one, because I don't think it reveals anything about the people in those circumstances. I don't think it reveals anything about Albo's character or about his approach to tackle unemployment or about his economic policy. These questions, and I think the thing that doesn't really get talked about as much as what it should, is the role of journalists in these spaces. Journalists are incentivized to ask questions like this. It's high risk, but it's high reward, right? Mm. And the reason that they're incentivized to do that is because Again, a lot of it's part of this 24-hour media cycle. You're striving to some extent, possibly consciously or subconsciously, or maybe even adjacently for virality. And these are moments that can go viral very, very quickly because they're easily snipped up. They can be put immediately on whatever platform you're operating in. And we love schadenfreude, regardless of what particular subset of politics you, you sit on. We love seeing people get embarrassed. We love those moments. It's part of human nature. And so suddenly the journalist is in the spotlight and they're being asked about this question and and people know their names. And when I say people, it's not the Australian people, but it is other journalists. I guarantee you the people of Australia do not know who asked Scott Morrison the bread question, but everybody on Twitter does. So while we're being distracted by all of this kind of flurry, what's really missing and what I think Australians are really craving is real policy. And Zara, you brought this up at the beginning about quick chat. There is a dearth of policy. 
what would you like to see one of the major parties to really act on, to come out on the front foot with? I mean, I don't think it's particularly shocking. I would love to see some meaningful action on climate change. I mean, I I can't believe that I even have to say it. And I think it goes to something that I've been thinking about since the debate, which is that issues that matter to young people and young people in general, I think are thought of as an electoral problem. I think that if our leaders saw young people, their futures, the future generations of this country as an opportunity and not as an impost and not as a problem, we would see some really meaningful action on climate. We'd see something to address rising house prices in a way that actually addresses intergenerational fairness and doesn't just tell people to buy a house. Again, seeing the Labor Party go small target because they saw it worked for the Liberal Party last time, I think is disappointing on both hands because now there is no policy on either side. Everyone is playing it as close to the middle as possible and is keeping as low of a profile as possible. And I just, I I think that's frankly sad for first time voters who will now go through another election cycle without knowing what meaningful policy actually looks like. And we'll perhaps have to wait another few election cycles to see what happens if either side is rewarded for not coming up with any innovative policy. And Mm -hmm. as a result, I think that there are a number of different policy areas that have just been branched under next generation issues. And I think that climate's one of those, which is a sad fact. It's particularly sad because to Jan's earlier point, these are all big issues that need to be tackled now. And it'll take decades for them to roll out, to be set up properly and to, to come into force. It's a huge problem that we're just kicking these issues down the road. And they've been kicked down the road for quite some time. And in my next episode, I will be covering off why we're at a policy stalemate on so many of these core issues that go to the heart of our care. Housing, you've brought up robo-debt, you've brought up NDIS, climate and so on. These are all the issues that have gone nowhere for a very particular reason. But as I say, I will cover it in the next episode. Final question, I suppose. We've been talking fairly negatively. It does explain the fatigue and frustration. But I think I am seeing almost that the disillusion is almost what's unifying many of us and across electoral boundaries, but also across political lines. I'm just wondering, both of you, and I'll throw to you, Jan Fran, first, could you put forward a vision of how you would like this election to play out in an ideal world that will cover off and speak to some of those policy issues you've raised that you think really desperately need to be addressed? I mean, if we're talking about how I'd like the rest of the campaign to go, I think journalists, because they're sort of like in the, in the middle here in a sense, right, they're, they're the translators of what's going on or the synthesizers, if you will, of what, you know, the politicians are saying. They kind of take that information, they synthesise it, they critique it, they tell the public I would really love to see us play a role that puts the public first. Look, it's a big dream. What do the public want to talk about? What do you want to talk? That should be the fundamental foundational question. And then we go from there. And it's almost to the exclusion of all of the other things like the personality stuff, like the gotcha moments. 
Let's center ourselves around that question. What does the Australian public want to talk about? What matters to the Australian people? How can I, as a journalist, take what matters to the Australian people and put it before the people that are supposed to be making the decisions about what matters? I just would hate to see this campaign devolve into gotcha moments and spin and parroting even further. Yeah. What about as an outcome really quickly? Do you have an ideal outcome in terms of where Australia will head May 22nd? The will of the Australian people is what I will happily accept. Good answer. <laughs> it's very, very diplomatic. Very diplomatic. <laughs> I'm going to take that one. Very ontological <laughs> as well. All right. I'm going to I'm going to press you on that one, Zara. What would you like as an ideal outcome when you wake up May 22nd trusting that the postal votes have all been counted and there's a clear outcome of sorts? What would you like to see? I mean, I think that I've just got to mimic what what was said before by Jan. I think, I mean, an ideal outcome for me, and again, I'm not going to predict anything because I'm not silly, would be that our audience is telling us has been reflected in the results. I just, I want to see that ambitious policy is rewarded and that we don't just stick to things because we know them, but rather can head towards an ambitious future. But again, we have learned our lesson from polling. And I think to Jan's earlier point, this election needs to be about what people want. Political parties and the executive branches and all the rest, they dictate to journalists how this election will look. They set out the arc, the narrative arc, and then it just seems like the media follows in tow. And I'd really love to see that actually turned on its head and we prioritise the narrative of voters because it, I think, would do everyone a lot of good. But I think we've got a lot of work to do before we get there and it certainly is going to take a couple of election cycles. I would like to see everybody listening here get as engaged as possible because what would break my heart is if anyone woke up May 22nd and felt they hadn't really got engaged enough and hadn't been informed enough. And so to that end, I really encourage people to listen to Jan, Fran on The Briefing as well as Rational Fear, where you're doing a political podcast there. Jan Fran has issues, baby. It's all about the issues, That's including it. my own issues that I bring up with my shrink. So tune in. <laughs> no doubt some pregnancy issues as well. <laughs> and Zara, everybody can follow the work of, uh, of Zara and her team at The Daily Oz on Instagram. And they also have a regular podcast as well, where these issues are discussed. And I agree. I think we, we have to trust the will of the people, but let's just hope that everybody's will is fully engaged on election day. Thanks guys. Thank you so much. Well I hope that paints a little bit of a picture of where we're at. Now I agree it's a little bit grim and negative but next episode I'm going to be discussing why it is that we are at a policy gridlock and then suggesting a way forward based on some evidence and some studies and some modelling. So please stay tuned in for that. And don't forget, go to my Instagram and post me a message using the voicemail or voice message mechanism by pressing down the microphone. And I'll try to get to as many of your questions as possible over the course of the next couple of weeks. So please stay tuned and I'll see you next episode. 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.